You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. John chapter 17, we're going to read together the first five verses of this high priestly prayer. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, your word is so precious to us. It gives sight to the blind. It it softens hearts. It encourages and comforts and exhorts and equips your people. It makes us wiser than our enemies and wiser than all of our teachers. And we thank you, Father, for such a precious treasure of truth that you have given to us. And contained in here are things which are too mysterious and marvelous for us to fully comprehend, but we can bow our knees before the truth of your word and confess those things that your word teaches. So help us to do that today, and may you be glorified in granting us understanding in your word for the glory of your name and for the good of your people, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, It is an understatement to say that no man ever prayed as Jesus prayed uh, men, other men pray as sinners to a holy God. Jesus didn't pray as a sinner to a holy God. Jesus prayed as the sinless Son of God to the Father. Other men prayed as one, as men who were under authority. Jesus didn't pray as one who was inferior to the Father, but as one who was equal to the Father. And Jesus said things in his prayers that no other man, no other rational man, no other sane man could ever say. The things that come from the lips of Jesus in this high priestly prayer, if they were spoken by any other man, would be insane. In fact, if they were said by any man other than God in human flesh, they would sound irrational and insane. We find things in this prayer, in fact, early on in this prayer, that nobody else could ever pray. Like in verse 1, Father, glorify me that I may glorify you. That is something that no no human being could ever pray in the sense that Jesus prayed it here. To be glorified and to share the glory that he had with the Father. He speaks of his own pre-existence in verse 5. And now in verse 2, we find that he is praying as one who has been given authority over all men and all things. And so these are things that nobody else could ever pray. And this is the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. And last week we looked at his prayer for glory. And when he prays in verse 1 that the Father would glorify him so that he may glorify the Father, we saw last week that he is speaking there specifically of the event which was which was immediate to him, that is the cross, and that the Father would strengthen him for that purpose and through the cross, through his suffering, give glory to the Son so that the Son may glorify the triune God. And now today we are looking at the authority that has been given to the Son. So we looked in verse 1 at the glory that he has given or that he prays for, and it is a glory that he would eventually receive. And now in verse 2, the authority that the Son has been given. Verse 2, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And he is praying there for authority. There are two things in the text uh, that we're going to note. Number one, that the Father, the gift that the Father gave to the Son, 
There are two of them there. The gift that the Father gave to the Son, and then the goal of the Father giving that gift to the Son. Why did the Father give these things to the Son? The Son is praying that the Father would give to Him certain things, and He describes why it is that the Father would grant these gifts to Him. And then there are two gifts that are given here in verse 2. Number one, authority over all flesh. And second, a people whom the Son was to save. So the Father gives a people to the Son, and these are the people whom the Son is sent into the world to save. So the goal of the, the gift of the Father to the Son, and then the goal of the Father giving that gift. And what are the things that the Father gave to the Son? What is the gift? It's twofold. Authority over all flesh. And second, a people for the Son to save. So let's look first of all at the gift that the Father has given to the Son. Verse Chapter 17, verse 2. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. Now notice that there are, again, two things mentioned there that the Father gives to the Son. Authority over all flesh and a people to save. And these two things go together. Notice there that the authority that Jesus requests is an authority that has already been, or the authority that Jesus speaks of is an authority that has already been given to him. Now when we, when we read here and when we speak of the Son being given something by the Father, we ought not to think in terms of somebody who is superior giving something to somebody who is inferior. And that would contradict everything in the passage. Jesus speaks of an authority that has been given or a glory that was His with the Father before the world was. Everything He describes in this prayer can only be said by one who is equal to the Father in glory and authority and majesty and power and eternality. He is immutable. He's unchangeable. He's the divine Son. So He is equal to the Father in terms of His nature. But here He describes being given an authority. And we ought not to think of one who is superior giving something to one who is inferior because that would that would be to mess up our understanding of who Christ is. Instead, we ought to think of this in terms of the, the, the economics of the Trinity. When we speak of the economics of the Trinity, sometimes we speak of the ontological Trinity, meaning how the, how the Trinity relates to each, each person relates to the other persons. But here we're describing the economics of the Trinity. That is to say, how the persons of the Trinity work with each other. How they work with each other. What each one does, their roles and their responsibilities in the sovereign plan of God, in His redemptive plan. So when we describe the economics of the Trinity, we would say that, for instance, the Father has certain roles and functions that He performs in the salvation of sinners. The Father chooses. The Father gives those people to the Son. The Father draws those people to the Son. And the Father adopts us into His family. These are things that the Father does. Then when we look at the Trinity and we look at the Son, we see that there are certain things that the Son does that neither the Father nor the Spirit do. The Son, for instance, takes upon Himself human flesh and is, uh, takes upon Himself a human nature and is united to humanity. He died on a cross, He rose again, He ascended and He seated at the right hand of the Father. That are not, those are not things that the Spirit has done. But then when we look at the Holy Spirit, we see there are certain things in the redemptive plan of God that the Spirit does. The Spirit, for instance, gives eternal life. He regenerates, He quickens. Uh, the Spirit indwells the church uh, corporately and individually and gifts us for service. These are things that the Holy Spirit does, illuminating to us the truth and revealing and glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we describe the economics of the Trinity, we're describing how they, how each one works in, in respect to all the other persons of the Trinity, how they're working out the plan of salvation together. What we read here, when we read of the Father giving authority to the Son, we're not describing somebody superior giving something to somebody inferior. We're describing, as closely as I can describe this, we're describing what was determined in the eternal counsels of the triune God before the world was created concerning what was given to the Son to do. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit 
agreed that for the purposes of the redemption of a people to the glory of that triune God, each person would have certain roles. To the Son was given authority over all flesh. Now, if you're thinking ahead and you're thinking critically, you're saying, hold on a second. If the Father gave authority to the Son over all flesh, then there was a time when the Son did not have that authority. And if there was a time when the Son did not have that authority, then there was a time when that Son was not divine. Because to have that authority is to possess deity. To possess deity is to have that authority. So at what time and at what point did the Son not have authority and then been given authority? That is a great question, and I'm glad you asked it. I'm going to try and attempt to give you an answer, and in doing this, I want you to understand we are describing something that is in, in all ways a mystery. And human language uh, struggles to wrap itself around an answer to this. But let me give you my best shot at it. Here's what I would say. In terms of the divine nature of the eternal Logos, the Son, in terms of His divinity, He always possessed that authority. But something happened at the Incarnation, did it not? When the Son took upon Himself human flesh and a human nature. The authority that is being given here, I believe, is the authority that is given to Jesus of Nazareth, the God-man, fully God and fully man. But in taking upon Himself that human nature, the Father gave to the man Christ Jesus authority over all flesh because He is also the divine Son incarnate in human flesh. So before the incarnation, the man Christ Jesus did not exist. The eternal divine Logos did. That one who is the second person of the Trinity always existed. But something happened at the incarnation. And at the incarnation, all of that authority by the Father was given to the man Christ Jesus. So as we describe the authority that is given here, we're not just describing the authority that existed in eternity past, which the Son had and brings into being there, but an authority that is conferred upon the man Christ Jesus by virtue of the fact that He is the Son incarnate in human flesh. That's as far as I can go to answer that question. The Father gave to the man Christ Jesus this authority. So it is the man Christ Jesus who is God in human flesh. He is fully God. He is fully man who has been given authority over all flesh. Now look at the totality of the, na- the totality of the nature of this authority. It is an authority over all flesh. Now, do not for a moment think that this is an authority over people, but that nature and the elements and cultures and kings and uh, um, the, the flow of human history and the planets all operate outside of his authority, but that he has been given a narrow authority. The reason he is describing his authority over all flesh here is because in this prayer specifically, he is addressing, uh, praying for certain people. Namely, the, uh, all of his people actually in verses 20 to 26 and specifically the apostles in verses uh, 6 through verse 19. So remember that the intention of his prayer is to describe his people. He is praying for his people. And so he is describing people in this prayer. He's praying for people in this prayer. And in terms of that, he is praying for he is declaring that he has authority over all flesh, all human beings, because the scope of the prayer is for people. But let me read to you other passages of Scripture which describe the authority of the Son. And I'll read, I'll read these to you from the Old Testament and to the New Testament. And I just want you to listen to these and let them sink in. Don't try and find each place uh, because you'll never keep up with me. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, Jesus said, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son 
except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Why don't you think about that for a second? Nobody knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. The revelation of the Father to men rests under the sovereign purview of the Son. If somebody does not know the Father, it is because the Son has not willed to reveal the Father to him. If you know the Father and you know the Son, it is because the Son has willed to reveal himself and the Father to you. That is under his sovereign control. Nobody knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Why? Because Jesus said, all things have been committed by my Father into my hands, including the revelation of the Father to men. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus came and spoke up to, and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In John 3.35, we read this, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. In John chapter 5, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. To whom does the Son give life? To whomever he wishes. It's under his will. It's his decision. He's sovereign over that. He gives life to all those whom he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself and gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So there the Son has authority to give eternal life to whomever he wishes, to execute judgment upon all mankind because the Father has committed all judgment to the Son. And the Son has authority to speak and to raise all men from the grave, some to eternal life and some to eternal judgment. Psalm chapter 2, verses 6 through 12. And this is an Old Testament look at the Messiah, a messianic psalm, Psalm 2, verse 6. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. What has been committed to the Son? The nations have been given to Him. And the very ends of the earth is your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that He not be angry with you and you perish in the way. For His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. That is over all things. Philippians 2, For this reason God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, In these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through him whom also he made the world. In Hebrews chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, You have put all things in subjection under his feet. And he's quoting there from the Old Testament. 
For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subjected to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. Now, what the author of Hebrews is saying is, the Father has given him authority over all things and put everything under subjection to him. But we look around the world and we see rebels, don't we? Rebels everywhere. Rebelling against his authority, not recognizing his sovereignty, doing whatever their hearts desire. And the author of Hebrews says, not all things have been made subject to him. In other words, he has the authority and all things have been given to him, but he is not executing that authority on his enemies at this time. All that authority is his. It is his to use as he pleases. But he has not yet crushed his enemies and brought all things under his feet. He will, though. He most certainly will. And then 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22, He is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to Him. So what is under His authority? All things. Everything is under His authority. Everything is His. He has been given authority over all flesh. Over all flesh. So it's all His. Kings, dominions, principalities, evil angels, the course of human history, the salvation of all men, the revelation of the Father, the judgment of all men, the final resurrection, it is all under His authority. It has all been made subject to Him. That is the position and that is the authority that He has been given. And He demonstrated this authority even while He was here on earth. He demonstrated His authority over diseases by healing the sick. He demonstrated His authority over over death by raising people from the dead and even by resurrecting Himself from the dead. He demonstrated his authority over demons and over the prince of darkness by exercising them from people according to his own will. He demonstrated his authority over creation by turning water into wine and by multiplying bread and fish and creating things out of thin air. He demonstrated his authority over all of nature by walking on water and by calming a sea. And he demonstrated his authority over all people by not allowing himself to fall into their hands when they purposed to kill him. And he simply blinded their eyes and walked right out through them, through the midst of them. And nobody laid a hand on him. And he did that on more than one occasion. Why? Demonstrating that he has been given by the Father authority over all things. And it all is his. And it all rests in his hands. And it is over all flesh. That word flesh is is a word that kind of communicates the idea of weakness and frailty. uh, That all of humanity, uh, fallen men, as well as redeemed men, are under his authority. He is the one who takes fallen men and redeems them and gives them life and brings them out of the kingdom of darkness, all of those who are in the kingdom of darkness are also under his authority because he has been given authority over all flesh. Now, do you realize what this means? This means that every king and every ruler on the face of this planet is under his authority. They're under his authority. Every persecutor, you realize that the Lord Jesus Christ could do to every persecutor of his people today what he did to Saul of Tarsus, if he so will. He could knock them down and open their eyes and translate them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. That authority rests with him and with him alone. Every nation is under his authority. He raises up kings, he puts down kings. He raises up kingdoms, and he puts down kingdoms. And if the book of Daniel teaches us anything, it teaches us that over the kingdoms of men, the Lord Jesus Christ appoints the simplest and lowliest of men. The men who sit over us in authority in Washington, D.C., they're not the great ones of the earth. They are the simpletons. And I mean that with love. They are the simplest and the lowliest of men. They are under his authority. The Supreme Court is under his authority. 
Do you realize that before the Supreme Court gave their latest rulings that he could, if he will, he could have saved all nine of those justices on the day before they issued their ruling? He could have delivered them from darkness into the kingdom of his son if he so willed. He did not will it. Do you realize that before they issued their warning that he could have taken the lives of five of those nine justices just by an act of his will? He has been given authority, infinite authority, unlimited authority, full authority over all flesh. Every person who has ever lived, every person who is alive, and every person who will ever live, he has been given authority over them. That is the extent of his authority. He is the infinite, he is the eternal king, and all things, even right now, have been subjected to him. I'm going to quote Charles Spurgeon. This is a longer quote, but it's well worth it. Anything you read from Spurgeon is worth it, and this is certainly one of those. Listen to what Spurgeon writes. We know that our Lord Jesus Christ has all power given to him in heaven and in earth. Angels and men before him fall, and devils fear and fly. All things, whether animate or inanimate, confess the majesty of him who is King of kings and Lord of lords. Our text, however, mentions the most stubborn thing in the entire world, flesh. Jesus has power over all flesh, that willful, wicked, disobedient thing called flesh. Christ knows how to govern. He has power over all men as fallen men, for such the term flesh describes. I understand then that Christ has power over all men to pardon all whom he wills. Christ has this day as mediator power to convict of sin every living soul by his spirit, if he so wills, and power to bring all men to the footstool of his grace and to give them pardon, if so it seems good in his sight. We do not believe that there is any exception to this rule. Christ has power over every man born of Adam to give to him the grace of conviction and the grace of pardon, if so it should please him to do. He also has power to make those who are not convicted of sin and who are not pardoned subservient to his purpose. He has power to restrain their evil passions from running to an excess of riot. He can use them as his drudges to effect his purposes, even when they proudly rebel against him, so that though they boast themselves in their own free will, they shall really be working out his own eternal purpose. He has a bit often in the mouth of his fiercest enemy and a hook in the jaw of the bloodiest persecutor. Over all flesh he has authority, whether it is crowned with royalty or wrapped in rags, whether it curses with profanity or bows down with reverent adoration. There is not a mortal man from the equator to the poles of any rank or any language or bearing any hue upon his skin who is not subject to this universal mediatorial power of the Lord Jesus Christ. End quote. He has authority over whom? All flesh. All flesh. He has authority over all flesh. Why has the Father given this authority to him? Because he has been given also with that authority over all flesh, specifically out of those people, a people to save. Look at verse 2. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given to him, he may give eternal life. This describes a group of people in language that we are familiar with because we've seen it in John 6, we've seen it in John uh, 10, and we are going to see it more in John 17, a special people whom the Father has given to the Son for the Son to save. So let's look at who these people are real quick. You can, if you want, turn back to John chapter 6. I'm just going to read a couple of verses there to you that we read from our Scripture reading. Verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. 
He used a similar language in John chapter 10 in verse 29 when speaking of his sheep. And all the way through John 10, he speaks of his people, his sheep. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep know me. I know my sheep. And my sheep come to me and I give them eternal life and I save them and I secure them and I sanctify them. He knows those who are his because they are his. And he says in John chapter 10 verse 29, My Father who has given them, that is the sheep, to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And then here in John chapter 17, look down at verse 6. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. Verse 9, I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Notice the distinction between those who belong to the world and those who belong to the Son. How is it that those who belong to the Son belong to the Son? They belong to the Son because the Father chose them out of the world. John chapter 15, the world hates you because I've chosen you out of the world. Those whom the Father has chosen out of the world, He has given to the Son. And now the Son has been given by the Father a people to save. These people belong to the Son. They are His people, His sheep, because the Father chose them and the Father gave them to the Son in order that the Son may give eternal life to all those whom the Father has given to Him. John chapter 17, verse 14. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. There are people in the world who do not belong to the Son. There are people who are amongst the world who belong to the Son, whom the Son is calling out of the world, out of darkness and into light. Now look at verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. There is a people that is given by the Father to the Son. These are in Scripture called the chosen ones. They are called the elect. They are the ones chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. The Father chose them out of the world. The basis of the Father's electing choice, we are not told, but there is a group of people whom God decreed in eternity past to give to His Son as a bride, as a flock, so that the Son may save and give eternal life to all those whom the Father has given to Him. So the Father chose them out of the world and He committed them to the Son, to the Son's saving care and His saving work. And the Son has been given authority over all people so that He may accomplish this purpose in giving eternal life to those whom the Father has given to Him. So that is the gift of the Father to the Son, authority over all flesh, and a people to save. And now I want you to notice the goal of this gift. Why is it that the Father gives these people to the Son? What's the goal of that? It is at the end of verse 2. So that He may give eternal life to all those whom you have given to Him. So that He, the the Son, may give eternal life to all those whom you have given to Him. I want to read verse 2 and I want to I want to give you sort of a paraphrase, as it were, an explanation paraphrase as I sort of translate this. I'm going to remove the pronouns and put into place the, the, the people, the persons to whom the pronouns refer. Verse 2, even as the Father gave the Son authority over all flesh, that to all of the ones, all of the individual ones from the group that has been given to Him by the Father, to all of those whom the Father has given to the Son, the Son may give eternal life. That's the essence of it. A mass of people has been given to the Son. But it's not an indiscriminate mass. It's it's not as if God is just simply saying, I'm going to give a people, I have no idea who they are. I have no idea when they will live. I have no idea how they will trust my Son. I have no idea how the Son is going to give them eternal life. But I'm just going to give a people. And I'm not going to describe it. It's just just a blob of people. I'm going to give them to the Son. And whatever happens, happens. And whatever people do, they can they can join this group or fall out of this group. That's not the way it works at all. There is a mass of people whom the Father 
one by one has given to the Son. And does the Son know them? The Son knows them. He knows his own. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. The Lord knows those who are his. Why? Because the Father has given them to the Son. And the Son knows every individual one of his sheep, and he calls them by name, and he calls them out of the mass of humanity to himself. That is the sovereign and saving work of the Father. And that is the goal of this gift. It is the salvation of the sheep. So that all of the authority of the Son over all people has been given to him to be used in order to give eternal life to a few. That is, to those whom the Father has given to him. So understand this. All of the providences, all of the sovereignty, every way that the Lord Jesus Christ uses that authority or doesn't use that authority, exercises that authority or restrains from exercising that authority, everything that is under his the purview of his sovereignty all accomplishes this pur- purpose, the salvation of those whom the Father has given to him. Now that is good news to us. And you know why it's good news to us? Because that means that there is no demon, no king, no supreme court, no ruler, no nation, no devil, nothing. There is nothing that can in- make itself between me and the Son which might put my eternal life in jeopardy. Nothing. Because all authority over all things has been given to Him. So there's nothing outside of that authority. And He can promise me eternal life, and I know that He can deliver. Why? Because the Father has given to Him authority over all flesh. You realize that a promise is only good as the ability of the person to keep that promise, to keep that promise. You understand what I mean by that? Probably not because I jumbled it all up, but let me translate it for you. Let's say that I give to you a promise. I say, I'm going to give you a million dollars. And you look at me and you say, you know, I've seen the church budget. There ain't no way that you're going to be able to give me a million dollars. I know that that's not, that's never going to happen. And you would be absolutely right. I can promise you a million dollars, but I have no power or ability to give you a million dollars. But if my name is Bill Gates and I'm the richest man in the country and I promise you a million dollars, what are the chances that I can give you, deliver to you a million dollars? I can do that. Why? Because I have power and authority to fulfill my word. That's one of the points here. Jesus can give eternal life to those whom the Father has given to them and he can secure that beyond any danger or any possibility that it would not happen. Why? Because he has authority over all things. So there is absolutely nothing that can happen that can thwart the sovereign purposes of God to give eternal life to those whom he has chosen to give eternal life to. Because all flesh is underneath of his authority. Now, not all are given to the Son savingly. The Father gives some to the Son so that the Son may save them. Authority over everybody is given to him. But the universal authority is to be used in order to give eternal life and to secure the salvation of those whom the Father has committed to his charge. Now somebody may read verse 2 and say, well, hold on a second. Maybe all of humanity has been given to him to give eternal life to. Maybe the all that have been given to him is everybody who has ever lived. Is that a possibility? Read the text. Verse 2, even as he gave him authority, you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given, he may give eternal life. Now, how many of those who are given by the Father to the Son receive eternal life? How many of them? Most of them, 90%, 99%, all but one, how many? All. So if all of humanity has been given to the Son for the Son to save, how many will be saved? All of them. But we know from the testimony of Jesus, we know from the testimony of Scripture, and from the warnings of Scripture, that there is a hell, that it is an eternal hell, and that not all men will be saved. But we do know this, all those who have been given by the Father to the Son will be saved because Jesus said that is why the Father sent him into the world to do that work, to save those whom the Father gave to him. So that he can say in verse 4, which we're not getting to now, but maybe in next week, 
So he can say in verse 4, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you've given me to do. What was the work? Saving and giving eternal life to those whom the Father gave to him. Jesus doesn't pray there and say, look, I've done my best, Father. I mean, I rolled the dice, I moved my mice, I did my best, I, 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 but I know it wasn't enough. He doesn't do that. I've accomplished the work. What did the Father send the Son to do? Give eternal life to those whom the Father chose and committed savingly to the Son. And the Son came into the world and he can pray at the end of his life, I have accomplished the work that you sent me to do. To give eternal life to most, to all those whom the Father has given to the Son. All of them. There will not be one lost. Jesus said in John 6, 6, All that the Father gives me will come to me. All who come to me I will not cast out. This is the will of my Father, that of all that he has given to me, I lose none. Not a single one will be lost. Why? Because the Son cannot fail to do what the Father sent him to do. Our Savior is not a failure. He will accomplish exactly what the Father sent him into the world to accomplish, which is the salvation of all those whom he has given to him. So the all cannot there refer to all of mankind. Now, does the Son have authority to grant eternal life to some who are not His to give eternal life to? Does the Son have that authority? Can the Son grant eternal life to one whom the Father has not given to Him? He has that authority, but will He do it? Because that's not what the Father sent Him to do. The Father didn't send the Son into the world to make salvation possible and leave it up to us. The Father didn't send the Son into the world to simply make men savable. The Father sent the world and the Son into the world to die for the sins of His people. To save them. Not to make men savable. But to save His people from their sins. To die for His bride, the church. To die for His sheep. To pay the price. To give eternal life to all whom the Father has given to Him. Every single last one. So the Son has authority over all flesh. But how many of those who have not been given by the Father to the Son will be saved? None of them. Ought we to imagine in our diseased brains that the, that the, the goal of the Father and the goal of the Son in salvation were different? That the Father sent the Son into the world to save the people whom the Father gave to the Son and that the Son came into the world and said, Alright, Father, I'll save all of them, but I'm really going to try to save everybody else too. Or do you think that the Son came into the world and said, I will do and accomplish the work that the Father sent me to do? He came to accomplish the work that the Father sent Him to do. And what was that work? To give eternal life to all those whom He gave to the Son. A specific group of people and all of those people. So friends, herein lies our security. This passage. Do you realize that you are secure in Jesus Christ, if you're in Christ, that you are secure in Him, not because your choice is irreversible, not because you once checked a box, not because you prayed a prayer, not because of some decision you made that now God can't go back on, not because uh, God removes His promises. Do you understand that that the, the, the security that you have in Jesus Christ, that you are secure, not because your decision is irreversible, but because His decision is irreversible? That is why you are secure. Your security doesn't rest on your decision. It rests on His decision made in eternity past when He granted you grace in Christ Jesus and gave you as a love gift to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is where your security rests. Not because not because your decision is irreversible, but because God's is. And because the purposes of God do not change. They do not change. And God has purposed to save a people, and God will save those people. And He will save them fully, and He will save them infallibly, and He cannot fail, because He is the sovereign Savior.
The world around us is going nuts. The world around us is on fire. It's going insane. It's not slowing down anytime soon. They're, they're ratcheting it up. They're pursuing their perversity at, at, at intense levels. They are, they're multiplying their insanities. They are, they're promoting their iniquities. And friends, we're not on a slippery slope. We're on a free fall. And what rests at the bottom of this moral free fall? Only God knows. But I will tell you this. You, if you're in Christ Jesus, are as secure today after the Supreme Court decision as you were before the Supreme Court decision. You today are as secure in Jesus Christ as the day you first believed. In fact, you are as secure in Jesus Christ as you were in eternity past when the Father gave you to His Son. And you are as secure today as you will be 10,000 years from now when you stand in the presence of His glory and praise Him. Why? Because we serve a sovereign Savior who will not fail to do what the Father sent Him to do, and that is to save those whom the Father gave to Him. He is worthy of our praise. Let us bow our heads. Our gracious God, these, these thoughts are way beyond our ability to comprehend and to fully appreciate them. But you have revealed to us the truth of your sovereignty and your grace and your love for your people. And all we can do is thank you. Thank you that you have loved us and that you have called us to your Son and that you have opened our eyes to the truth and to the light that we may behold the glory of Christ and be drawn to him. Thank you for the mercy of salvation. We owe none of it to our own decision or our own faith or our own self, our own works or the works of our flesh or the works of the law, but solely to the grace of you, our gracious and sovereign God. Thank you for a Savior who cannot fail to save fully all those who have been committed to his charge. And thank you that by your grace you have committed us to his charge. We praise you and thank you in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.